Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Books. Today, we have a couple interviews that we really enjoy doing. And Anna, because of that, because we have we have our interview with Mary Grace Billick, who is the Director of Human Services for Mercer County. And our author interview is with Zenithia Williams, a romance author. Both interviews that we really enjoy doing, both ran a little longer than our typical interview. So with that in mind, you and I are gonna keep our chit chat to a minimum today so that people can enjoy the interviews. I agree, Bob. Let's just go ahead and get to those interviews. I think uh, Sanithia has some really interesting insight to the romance novel industry. And I think uh, our listeners are really going to enjoy what Mary Grace had to say. And she has some great insight to her job and her, her kind of talking about her pathway. So I, I agree. Let's just get to those interviews. And with that in mind, we'll be right back with our chat with Mary Grace Billick. Today, we have a very special treat where we normally interview a staff member from the Mercer County Library System. Today, we are broadening our horizons and we are talking with Mary Grace Billick, who is the Director of Human Services for Mercer County. Mary Grace holds a Master's of Science of Social Work from Columbia University and received a bachelor's degree in English and Psychology from Rutgers University. She was appointed as Director of Human Services for Mercer County in 2006. In her current capacity, she chairs and or participates in more than 30 boards and commissions. So many to list, I can't list them all, so I'm just gonna name a couple. New Jersey Task Force on Child Abuse and Neglect, as well as the Council on Juvenile Justice system improvement. Mary Grace, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, it's so nice to be here and thank you for the invite. It's when I look at the um, Human Services Department website on the county website, um, it just, you, it entails so much that you do. There's the department involves all these offices and divisions, such as the Mercer, Mercer County Commission on the Status of Women, the Division of Public Health, the Division of Mental Health, and the Mercer County Library System. How do you give your elevator pitch or provide an overview for someone? What do you do? Like, what, how would you give an overview for us? Well, and I have to give an overview when people are trying to figure out what do you, what do, you do? It is a mystery, and I think it's like the best kept secret um, of the universe. Um, so when I talk to people who are in social services, I explain that we do pretty much everything that is not related to entitlement services. And entitlement services are Medicaid, uh, food stamp SNAP, general assistance, temporary aid to needy families. That is done by the Mercer County Board of Social Service. And that's the most recognizable service that people know of in, um, in the social service, human service world. So we're pretty much everything else. Our job, we provide support and resources for services from daycare, from childcare until um, senior care. Uh, and that requires us to do the planning, right? To look at, do a needs assessment of the community, figure out what are the needs in the community, create a plan of action 
for those needs and gaps in service, and then to implement um, that plan through funding. So the department does about $10 million worth of funding out into the community. It comes from a variety of sources, right? It comes from the federal government, it comes from the state government, and it comes from our, um, our uh, commissioners. So we have legislators here in the county, the, the Board of County Commissioners, who are, are very generous and support the services and resources that we provide into the community. Um, so, so that is really what human services is. And we do, like I said, we do youth services, mental health, addiction, aging, um, disability services. We're so blessed during the pandemic to oversee the public health department here at the county. That was probably our most challenging, uh, it's probably the most challenging two and a half years I think I've had in my 18 years here. We don't do a lot of direct service provision. What you right. do at the library is a direct service to the community. Um, we do feed about 800 seniors a day in our senior nutrition program. And we have another disability service that we do that it has a staff person who oversees a caseload of um, people who receive services from us. But that is that's our only direct service. So really, it's almost like there is this fluidity to the department. And I'm thinking, I just saw that the assessment came out um, from the Office of Aging on Aging. And I love how you're, you're re it reaches out to the community and it's it's pulling in that data. You know, what are we missing? What do we need more of? So I just feel like you have this organic, always changing kind of target that you're working towards. Yeah, and I think if you don't ask the question, that's the, you know, if you don't ask the people who actually use the services, just like the library does, you're not going to get the right books. You're not going to have the right service provision. Do I need more child care for infants? If I don't ask, like, where are the holes, then I'm not going to know what we should be putting money towards. It doesn't change every year, which is why one of the things we do is we don't fund something for a year, because you never know the impact of what you funded in the first year, but you really know by the third year. So um, we try to, you try, if you're going to try something new, you want to try it for a little while and you want to have some evidence and some data that supports that that's a necessary thing to do. I feel like anybody who gets into social work wants to help people. That's the overriding theme. You want to help people. Do you feel like being in your position and being involved with local government helps you do that more than say, some other organization? Well, you know, Bob, that is such an excellent question. Before I came to government, and I really came to government in 2000, I've worked for the city of Trenton. I also worked for the state for a little while. Um, and prior to that, I spent 17 years in nonprofit work. Um, and what I, what I, being on this side is so much nicer than having to fight every single day in the nonprofit world to try to get, you know, the needs of your, your clients met and the needs of the population you're trying to serve. So my job is to listen to those people now and, and the, you know, the 50 people who work here who also talk to the community, hear what their problems are and try to use our resources to solve those problems. So yes, I love working in government because I'm no longer clawing, uh, you know, spending most of my time writing grants to get $50,000 or twenty or $5,000 to try to implement some, you know, some program. So it isn't, it's actually nice to have had the experience and worked in nonprofit. I, I was there for 17 years. I, it was a, 
you know, I was not a, uh, I was not a child when I started to, when I moved into government. So kind of looking at, I mean, because you've been with the county since 2004. I mean, you became director of um, human services in 2006. Such a large span of time. And it, this might be hard to nail down, but can you maybe talk about some of the, um, like an achievement you're the most proud of or something that the work was worth it? Yeah, I mean, and I, one of the things that I'm, that I, I will say I'm going to leave when I leave this role um, you know, when you want to have a legacy of something, right? What did you do? Um, and I think the work that our department has done related to homelessness is probably the thing I'm most proud of. You know, in 2006, 2007, um, with, in collaboration with the city of Trenton, we undertook this project called Housing First. And Housing First is, is, is a new, was at the time, a new way to think about homelessness. When you think about homelessness, you uh, you think about you know what drive what and what drives people into a place where they lose their housing. And housing first doesn't put any there's no barriers to getting housed. So it doesn't matter if you're continuing to use substances or that if you have a drinking problem, if you aren't participating in your mental health treatment, right? You don't have to you don't have to jump through any hoops to be housed. You have to agree to work with someone to ensure you stay housed. So some kind of a social worker or a case manager to do some intervention to keep you uh, so that you're you're made sure to be a, a good tenant. You're not a, you're a good neighbor to your neighbors, right? But it doesn't require you. And the world prior to that to that thinking was that you had to be medicated, you have to stop drinking, you have to stop drugging, you, you know, all of the things that probably keep people into homelessness. And indeed, what we found is that's exactly what happens. Once you get people housed, a lot of those problems, when you're living on the street, what's your motivation to stop drinking? Nothing. Or to stop using substances. But if you have a roof over your head and you want to stay in that roof, you might be more willing. And indeed, what we find from a data perspective is people are more willing. And so we engaged in that process. And then in 2009, we took some federal money because of the... Um, you know, they had, we had the big uh, financial uh, decline of 2008, right, when everything went crazy um, because of the mortgages. So we got some federal money and we started to look at homelessness in a very different way. And Mercer County has seen a 70% drop in its homeless population over the course of that time. Now, because of the pandemic, we have some housing trouble right now. And one of the things that we didn't do, which I won't be happy about when I when I finally leave this job is that we didn't develop enough affordable housing. So I think that would be, if I, if I was gonna say, am I gonna hang my hat somewhere and say that we worked really, really hard at that with our community partners, because this, you know, what we do can only be in partnership with the rescue mission of Trenton, the Trenton Area Soup Kitchen, um, Homefront, you know, all of the organizations, our prevention organizations, arm in arm, we have so many, organizations that help get this work done, but it took a long time to have more collective thinking about how do you address it, because everyone had their own idea. Um, and, and we spent a lot of time getting to a place where we all see the problem similarly. Well, and as you were answering that question, I was thinking like Mercer County, I know has so many great organizations, but it's your role is kind of bring them all not together, but to get everybody kind of on the same page, right, and working together and 
and that is what leads to being successful as you as you've been i yes bob i think that's it i also see them as our partners right we're not an, i'm not a, the human service department is not an island but i think we took evidence we took you know we went and we looked at the national alliance to homelessness and we went around the country i've been to texas where they've done some really interesting things we've been to chicago i've been to california a number of times to look at the work that they're doing and see what work like what is working um, and how could we and i have to say the county executive has been i'm you know very fortunate to work for someone and I, i'm when i took this job i had known the county executive before he chaired a committee that i for a job that i had but he's net they've never said no you know if if we have a problem i can go during budget and say like here's a problem that's occurred and i would like the county executive to support it and the county executive and the commissioners i they've never said no in the 18 years i've been here no one's ever said to me that's a terrible idea don't do that so there's obviously a lot of intrinsic rewards with what you're doing. And I'm just thinking of you're basically this this advocate for our citizens in the most need. I mean, you really are. And I would think for you, I mean, we've been talking about everybody else and just for you, I would think that would be emotionally and mentally straining at times. Like what are some things you do to kind of take care of yourself and just to kind of center yourself? <laughs> <laughs> like what? What do you oh, do? <laughs> I, tell, I tell people I knit so I don't kill people. Uh, <laughs> and I actually, I have, a, I have a bag that I got in Seattle. That's exactly what it says. I knit so I don't kill. <laughs> but you know, on the other hand, I, I think it was way more stressful when I did therapy, right? Because you know, when people come into your office and you see, you know, twenty people a week and you know, they dump all their problems in your lap and your job is to kind of help sift through it with them and say, you know, what what's the most important part of that. So I did that for a long time. Some clients I saw for years um, and I have an expertise in substance use. So I, I, you know, certainly had lots of people that I saw who had very serious problems. The other thing that we wanted to ask you being the Behind the Books Library podcast is, do you have a certain genre that you like to read? Do you enjoy reading uh, the cozy mysteries, the biographies, like what's your what's your go-to genre when you get a chance to read? Thank you, Bob. That's such a good question. I love, I, 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 I'm a voracious, I was a voracious reader in my youth. I pro, I would do anything. I, I, my whole world was surrounded by books. Um, and I love our libraries. I think they're, they are the gem of Marshall County. So I, I love like, um, I really want to be intrigued. I want to, I want a murder mystery. I want um, like a psychological thriller trying mm. to untangle. Um, I want it to be really deep, lots of characters. Now I'm married to someone who reads nothing but biographies and autobiographies. And he also reads finance stuff, which, you know, that makes sense, right? <laughs> He's an accountant. So he, he, I will sit next to him on the beach and I will look at what he's reading. And he also follows astronomy. Like he, he, I think in another lifetime, he probably would have been an astronomer. So, um, so he reads things like about black holes and he starts telling me about them. I'm like, I'm too old to digest some of the things you're talking about. So I really, I want to be taken away when I read something. I want to, I just read uh, The Prince of Tides. Right? From oh. Never read it before, never saw the movie. It was one of the best books. 
like really loved loved it you know it was a, an amazing tome um and i'll read anything stephen king writes now that he's sober when he wasn't sober it was it's you know <laughs> Well, we've been talking with um, Mary Grace Billick, who's the director of the Human Services De Department for Mercer County. And Mary Grace, it has just been an absolute blast chatting with you. We could go on and on and on, but I know that you've got things to do. You're out there doing all this great stuff. So thank you. Um, and again, just thank you for taking time to talk with us today. It was so nice to meet both of you. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much to Mary Grace Billick for talking to us about all she does for Mercer County in her role as the, D, as the Director of Human Services. Uh, that was a fun conversation. And Anna, I know you're going to talk to us a little bit about some of the programs we have coming up in the next couple of weeks. But before we get to that, I think we should mention that we just wrapped up our summer reading program, finished up last week. And I think we got to give kudos to all, everybody who works at the Mercer County Library System for, for what they put into it, but especially I think the youth services librarians because they put so much effort into the summer reading program with what they do over, over those several weeks that the summer reading program is happening. I've had a chance to talk with some of the librarians and it really was just the branches were hopping this summer. And I do, I, I agree with you about that. Uh, kudos should go out to everybody. And now that summer reading is over, it doesn't mean that we're done with activities, though, for the library system. We still have some good ones coming up over the next couple of weeks and through the end of August. So I'm going to share an upcoming program. It's a virtual program that we're hosting on August 17th at 7 in the evening. And this program is a Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, and other payment sharing tools. And that's going to be presented by... Mike Scara, who is from the Computer Training Service. So for those of you who have been a little apprehensive to use those kind of types of payment sharing tools, this might be a great program for you to attend to kind of learn more about them. The other thing I wanted to share, this is actually a system-wide uh, adventure that's happening. And this is an annual program that uh, really kind of became more system-wide uh, throughout the county during the pandemic. And we've had a committee put together and they're putting together the amateur photo contest. And so some of you have probably done it before and it's happening again this year. And what you can do is you can submit uh, one photo per person at your local branch and a local panel of judges will select three photos from each branch and those will move on to another round. And then a central panel of judges will then choose the top three photos and prizes will be given. So I'm telling you about this now because you can actually start submitting your photos September 8th through October 9th. But I wanna tell everyone about it now so you can start taking your photos. The theme is day or night. So you can interpret that as literally or as figuratively as you would like. Um, and I will link to the information page on our website so people can see more about the program and what it entails. But I do wanna thank those uh, friends groups that are helping make this possible. It's the Friends of the Library Ewing Branch, Friends of the Hickory Corner Library, 
Friends of the Heights Town Library and the Friends of the West Windsor Library. And again, I'm going to link to that page so people can start uh, looking into submitting their photos, which can start being submitted on the 8th of September. Looking forward to both of those things happening at the library. And I'm also looking forward to letting people hear our conversation with Sunithia Williams. And we'll be back with that in a moment. romance novel since reading her first one at the age of 13. It was only natural she would begin penning her own soon after. It wasn't until 2010 that she began to actively pursue her dream on becoming a published author. She completed her first novel, You Can't Plan Love, in the fall of 2010 and sold it to Crimson Romance in 2012. Her latest book, Summoning Up Love, the first book in her Heart and Soul series, came out in April. The next book in that series, The Spirit of Second Chances, is due out in August. When she isn't writing, she works on water quality issues for her local government while balancing the needs of her husband and two sons. Sunithia, I cannot tell you how happy I am that you were taking time to talk to us today because you are one busy woman. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. I always am like still shocked to talk about this thing that I do called writing. So <laughs> I appreciate it. In your, in your bio, it says at 13, you already liked romance novels. Was that something that you knew if you when you got into writing that that was what you wanted to write? Um, I think so, yeah, because sometimes I still can't believe I'm this romance writer. I've always loved romance, but I've always been a writer. I've got books, books, I'll quotation mark that, that I hand wrote in like fourth grade, like stories that I would put together and, and handwrite. And I did like two books that were 300 pages, loose leaf, handwritten novels that I did in high school. But you know, life happens. I went to college, I got married, I had kids, um, and I just kind of knew I always wanted to do it, but it wasn't until, like, my bio, a friend was like, hey, I'm gonna go to law school, and her going to law school made me say, you know what, let me finish these books, and so that's kind of how it, it worked out. I love one of the things on your website. It's almost like a tagline, I think you have. I saw it in your blog. It's um, sexy, messy, emotional romance. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw that and I'm like, I am in. <laughs> but you do, you've talked about that and you've written about that on your website, how you do, you love the messy, you love the drama. Do you kind of, does, do you find the story ends up taking you through that mess or do you have kind of a plan when you're going into it? I, it's a little bit of both. So I, I, um, because I have to like get books out by a certain amount of time, I kind of plan out the series idea will pop up in my brain, but then I have to plan out the whole story. Usually it starts with an idea and then I'm like, oh, well, what about this person's brother or sister or friend kind of thing? And, and then I have to, I have a plot board. And this isn't my idea. I got it from a romance writer friend, Farrah Rashawn, but she taught me her plotting method. And I kind of use a variation of that where I'll each scene will have a post-it note and I'll put it on there. And then I take a picture of the poster board so that if I'm in Panera or on my lunch break in the car, shoving down McDonald's or whatever, I can look at the picture and be like, oh, this is what's supposed to happen next. Let me flesh it out. But the characters 
I just do whatever they want to do sometimes. And when you start the, the series, do you know like it's going to be a certain number of books? Because I know you had the Jackson Falls series and it was the Robodeau family. And did you know when you started that it's going to be four books and you know, you might have things in book one that'll come back to us later in book four, things like that? Um, sometimes. So like the um my Henry series, I I immediately knew it was gonna be those four books. I knew it was gonna be that set, the sister and the three brothers. Um the Jackson Falls series, it was it started off as three. I was just gonna do the three siblings, and then HQN just kind of approached me and said they wanted another book in that series. And I was like, well, I kind of been thinking about this cousin they got. So, you know, that it wasn't too hard to, to think of her story because I had kind of I did, I planted a seed for the cousin story in the first book in Jackson Falls. Um, and it was like a minuscule seed like if you're not really paying attention you won't even pay it you won't even notice it in case I never wrote her story I didn't want it to be hey when's her story happening if I you know didn't get around to doing it but when Harlequin won a warmer book I was like oh well I kind of planted the seed and now it's germinating so let me just go ahead and flesh out that I one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um so you wrote your first book in 2010 published in 2012 so it's been 10 years now that you've been <laughs> that you've been doing yeah. this dancing this dance what are some of the changes you've seen I just know as a librarian I feel like I'm seeing more representation um, on covers um, just the literature itself I feel like it's so much more produced now and um, and I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit in the industry like when I first started and, and I was telling somebody else this um, a, about a month ago I didn't career my writing career seriously because I didn't think there was a demand I'm like no they don't want my stories like uh, they may get published you know I'm, this isn't what people are going to look for I'm not going to be on store shelves and so I just kind of took a happens approach to my career and you know now I take it a little bit I, I won't say take it more seriously but I just realized that oh no okay people want to read my stories and um and I didn't have that thought and that attitude when I first started. Um, you're right, there's still a long way to go. I think in 2020, really big push to try to um, sign more authors of colors, black authors as well, to get more stories that represent um, romances and not just in romance, fantasy and other genres as well. If, if some readers are going to see a cover with a black couple on it and say, you know what, I'm just going to go skip to the other cover that just has the flowers or beach scene or you know, a couple I feel more comfortable reading about. That's never going to go away. Um, I wish it would, but you know, it, it never will. But I feel like as long as the people who like my story still have access to them, I don't have to win over the folks who are afraid to try something different. I just want those who like what I give them, the sexy, messy, emotional romances that are right. <laughs> those people to find my stories and read them and if you won't pick up my book just because it happens to have black people on the front well you've missed a roller coaster ride and I hope you enjoy whatever book you do pick up <laughs> but I think you bring up such an interesting point because that actually was encouraged right not to include people of color on the cover it was no put flowers or a piece of jewelry you know or something of I mean I had 
I really, I felt ignorant because I had no idea. I'm like, I just think of a library. I'm like, that's a, it's, there's mirrors. You should be able to see yourself and, and windows to see other people. I mean, it's, oh, I'm going on the tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm with you on it. I was actually talking about this with a writer friend a few days ago, because, you know, she has a, a book that she did not want the cover to have the black woman on the front because she was worried that some readers wouldn't pick it up um, kind of thing. So, and you, you still kind of get that forth but um so yeah it is this whole tangent you should I, I don't care you know you know if it's vampires in space and I'm in the mood for vampires in space I'm probably gonna pick up the book kind of thing and read it regardless of you know what's on the cover but um so that's my biggest thing is just ask people to give the book a chance you know don't turn it away and think that just because the people on the cover don't look that it won't be a good book um just give it a chance if you enjoy reading if you enjoy romance fantasy or whatever there's so much stuff that you can read and don't limit yourself right and i feel like too if if people are reading the books and they get into the like i've always been somebody that's kind of been drawn to the characters right and so like when i'm reading forbidden promises and you know you get a connection with india and, and you read some of the other books and you get a connection with the character it's like None of that other stuff should matter, right? It's like a good connection with a with a great character, and that's what you should care about. Right. I mean, I wrote uh, the Jackson Falls series because I love soap operas. I grew up watching God and Light and Young and the Restless and all those CBS soaps, and I wanted to write a soapy, messy romance. And the characters are just they're black, because um, you know that's what I am. I'm married to a black man. My parents are black. I, that's just kind of what I'm right. So like, you know, what happens if we were wealthy, you know, tobacco people? Now, I hope we wouldn't be as um, dramatic <laughs> as my fictional characters. But, you know, if you like, love the CBS soaps or the, you know, ABC and NBC soaps, that's, they're great too. I, I watch Days of Our Lives. But if you like those, then you probably will like my stories. <laughs> I love it. I guess August is romance readers, like it's read a romance month, which is still be coming out. So there you go. It's a perfect time to pick up a romance, pick up a romance, give it a try. One of the things I was going to say is that I know when we've talked in the past to romance writers, like one of the things that they like about it too, is that when they start the story, they know at the end, it's going to be a happy ending, right? You're not going to mm -hmm. have to worry about anything tragic or dramatic happening at the end. So it's kind of like, to me, it's almost a little bit of a challenge as a writer, I would think, to get to that because it's it's a happy ending, but there's always a lot of roadblocks along the way, right? A lot of bumps in the road. So that do you find that as a challenge that you welcome when you're writing? When people ask me why I write romance, it is that challenge of getting to the happy ending, but the joy of knowing I'm not going to be, if I'm crying at the end, sad reason. And everybody's story is different. You know, like how my husband and I got together is different from the way my parents got together. It's different from the way my best friend and her husband got together. It's different from the way my married neighbors got together are people who are just in long-term relationships. You know, everybody doesn't have the same story to how they find love or partnerships or, or their approach to romantic relationships. So I think if you look at your character as a fully fleshed person, you know, what does it take for this person and this person to get together that romance is going to look different than the next story that you write because those characters should be different their motivations should be different their relationship with their parents or their friends or how they view life 
should be different. And so I think that's what makes romance so addictive because the happy ending, but the characters aren't necessarily going to be the same. You're going to see something different. Well, I am so glad that you said that because that's something I think your books bring as they bring joy. And that's what I think why you. I think people should pick your books up. <laughs> We've been talking with Sunithia Williams about her, just about writing in general, but I do want to encourage our readers to check out her most recent series that she's been working on, Heart and Soul. Uh, Summoning, Summoning Up Love came out in April and The Spirit of Second Chances is coming out in August. Sunithia, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I always have fun um, talking to people about especially romance so thank you I appreciate the invite Hello again, everyone. Welcome back as we wrap up this episode of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Sunithia Williams for that enjoyable conversation about how she got into writing, how she manages to fit it all in. That was one of the things I found, Anna, pretty remarkable about her is that she's working this full-time job. She's got a family. She's raising her kids. And she's still churning out these books like crazy. And she's got a, a system and a style that people enjoy. And it really works for her. And I think that that's what impressed me the most about her is that she's able to do all this balancing and juggling. And it was really impressive to me. One of the things we didn't really expect how our conversation to go with her, and I'm glad that it did, is that we talked about kind of the representation and the inclusivity of um, African-Americans in that romance industry and how it has evolved so much and how it's, it's becoming more uh, prominent and, and she even, we even talked about how it's come a long way, but it still has a ways to go. And I just think she's one of those people that's going to be keep pushing it. And um, we just wish her nothing but success and what she's doing. And she's, and I, I do think her stories really are a lot about joy. I mean, we talked about drama, we talked about messiness, um, but there really is a joy to her work as well. And she's even had mentioned to us that she's seen a lot of progress in 10 years that she's been doing this, but as we mentioned, there's still a long way to go and hopefully that'll continue. We'll continue to see that progress. And in our conversation with Mary Grace, I was just so impressed with everything that she does and her department does and, and what they're trying to do as advocates for, I think you mentioned it when we were talking, or they're advocates for the people who need it the most. And I'm just really impressed with everything that they do out of her office. Talk about so much. I mean, both of our both of our interviewees, just so much going on. I mean, just looking at everything that Mary Grace is involved with. I mean, she's involved with over 30 boards and commissions that have to deal with uh, her position at the county. And she does keep her head about herself. And I think, Bob Noose, I need to take up knitting or crocheting. <laughs> or something so I can kind of maintain that balance. And we just subscribe to that. We have that new database, Creative Bug, which I don't know if our listeners have heard about this, but it's this database that you can go onto and it has videos and instructions and everything. So you can be a beginning knitter and you can learn how to knit, which I think I'm gonna try it out. But even if you're an experienced knitter, you can go on and figure out how to fix your mistakes, but it's got all kinds of crafts, not just um, yarn or, or uh, fiber arts. Um, I don't know, that was kind of a shameless plug 
plug, but I'm thinking, how can I, how can I balance out my life? And that's something I took away from Mary Grace is she is there for our most vulnerable, um, but she's also taking care of herself. That's something that we might have to revisit. You know, a few episodes back, we were updating how your veg vegetarianism was going. I'm looking forward to a couple months down the road, finding out how this knitting is going for you. Stay we'll tuned. Be, we'll be sure to update our listeners on that. And uh, Anna, this was a lot of fun. As we mentioned, when we opened up, we tried to keep our chit chat a little shorter this time because we had so much in both of those interviews and hopefully people enjoyed them as much as we did. Once again, we want to thank Sanithia Williams as well as Mary Grace Billick. And Bob, I will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narasik. Our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoy. 